listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Our text for this morning's message comes from the Gospel of Luke. This is going to be Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there now with me. Otherwise, it'll be displayed on the screen, I believe. Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. And let's rise today for the reading of God's Word. On the first day of the week... Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, I ask this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So if you really stop to think about it for a minute, Easter is a crazy holiday. It's crazy. I mean, we've done it for however many years old we are, and so it just kind of becomes rote, and we sort of get in the, in the rut and used to the traditions, and yeah, we say, well, yeah, there's the empty tomb, and there's the stone rolled away, and, and there's flowers, and he is risen. He is risen indeed. Wonderful, wonderful. Stop, though. Do we hear ourselves? He is risen. He is risen indeed. What are we saying? We're saying that a guy who was dead on arrival, a guy whose pulse was at zero, was now beating again. That's not crazy. I do not know what it is. What is. So the thing about Easter uh, is that Easter is a little bit strange when you compare it to most other holidays that are out there. Most of the other ones, we, we at least kind of understand the general, like, what are, we, what are we celebrating here? What's this about? Fourth of July, independence. Okay, we can wrap our minds around that. Uh, your birthday, even something like Christmas, somebody's born, that's something to, to celebrate, right? Uh, National Donut Day, by the way, coming up on June 6th. What are we celebrating? God's good gift of donuts to us. The resurrection, 
wait, somebody was dead and they are alive again? This is kind of ridiculous. It's, it's really, really, it sounds absurd even to our ears. I don't think that's too much of a stretch to, to say. And it's interesting that most of the traditions that we have, a lot of them kind of reflect how crazy and how out, seemingly outlandish this, uh, this holiday is. I was doing a little bit of Googling, and it's, it's fascinating. When you go to, when you look at uh, England, for example, what they do on, on Easter, apparently they get, they do the hard-boiled eggs thing, but then they, they do a race down a hill. So they'll roll the eggs down a hill, and whoever goes the furthest without cracking is apparently the winner. I don't know what it is about the English and hills or something. They like rolling their cheese down it and chasing their eggs and all this stuff. But the best one that I found, get this, this was, this was years ago, so... I doubt this goes on any longer, but it was in Germany. And what they would do is they would fill like a whole flat area, a big field or something with, with eggs, okay? And then a bunch of young couples, you would be paired up with, a, with someone of the opposite gender and you would go out there and you would dance with them. And apparently, uh, if you got through the whole dance without touching an egg, like with your foot, you were automatically engaged to this person. I don't know, maybe we should bring that one back. So Easter is just plain crazy. And, and we lose a lot of this craziness because of the Hallmark cards and because, you know, we just sort of go through this and we've done it so many times that Easter loses its magic, kind of, doesn't it? So maybe the best thing that we can do is kind of revel in the Easter story and allow our awe and our childlike wonder to just kind of overwhelm us as we contemplate truly how, how magical in a sense this time truly is and what happened really, really was. So we have this empty tomb. We have this, this season of, of Easter, right? And this is a painting that kind of shows it and gives you just sort of a, a, general, a general idea of kind of what's going on. It's good to have a visual sometimes. And the thing about the text that I just read this morning, there's always something new that jumps out at you. And here's the part that I could not get out of my head from our text here today. This is Luke 24, and it's verse 5. The angels came to, to the women, and the women were scared, right? It says, In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, that is, the angels said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered. So Jesus had told this to them before, but this question haunted me. Why do you search for the living among the dead? Well, the simple answer, and in one sense it really is kind of simple. The women were looking for the living among the dead because they were really hopeless on that Sunday morning. They were expecting to find a dead, decaying, stinky body and to maybe granted the dignity of a burial, right? Put some of these spices on it and make it so it at least, uh, at least give it a little bit, the body of Jesus, their Savior, a little bit of, of dignity. But what they found was something 
very different. But in their minds, there wasn't any hope here. Like, resurrection was the absolute last thing on their minds. That wasn't even an option. I mean, they weren't talking to themselves thinking, hey, well, what do you think? Do you think he's, he's going to be risen from the dead? No, they fully expected Jesus to still be dead. They were living, in a sense, without hope. Hopelessness. Why do you seek the living among the dead? And I wonder, too, I started to reflect on my own life and, and to ask the question, where in my life am I asking that question, too? Where do I search for the living among the dead? What are the places in my life, what are the corners of my own heart where I don't expect Jesus to be, where I don't expect Him to show up? What are the dead parts? What are the, the places that even I dare to trod sometimes in my life that I expect to just remain dead and without life and to say, no, no, Jesus' resurrection has no jurisdiction here. Where do I search for the living among the dead too? Another way to put this is, am I living in the darkness of the tomb or the light of Easter morning? Am I living in the, the darkness of the tomb or the light of Easter morning? Where, where are you this morning? Where, where do you find yourself today? Oscillating maybe somewhere between those two? Maybe you're far on, on one end or, or maybe the other. Where are you living today? Guys, there are all sorts of reasons to, to lose hope in this world. You don't need me to tell you that. You can turn on the news. We see this ongoing war between... Russia and, and Ukraine, and all of the continued bloodshed that's happening. We see civilians, and the body count continues to, to pile up. Hopeless. Maybe we think of the prodigal sons and daughters of our lives, the people that we pray for God to bring back to us, to, to bring back into fellowship with Him and with one another. And, and we've been praying about it for years, and we think, Hopeless. It's easy, so easy to, to lose hope. There's sickness, there's, there's death, there's all sorts of sources that create hopelessness in our hearts. I think you already know that. So where does, where does this come from? Where does hopelessness come from? What are, what are some of the, the causes of hopelessness that we might say? Well, one is just past experience, right? Like you found out through experience in life, through disappointment, that it's just better not to get your hopes up at all because then they can't be crushed. It's just easier. So I'll build a protective shield around myself and kind of callous myself off to, to, to love that's one cause for hopelessness. Uh, another is just the laws of nature, and this is what the women discovered at the empty tomb that day. Dead people don't become alive again. I'm pretty sure if you're a physician, you are taught something like that along the line, right? It just doesn't happen. Natural law doesn't allow for that to happen. And we could make that transfer, too, into the realm of forgiveness, even, and say, like, 
Forgiveness isn't possible because people are only punished as our deeds deserve, right? We have to exact a pound of flesh. We have to make them pay when somebody wrongs us or when we wrong them. Forgiveness isn't a thing. It doesn't come natural to human nature. Again, a cause of, of hopelessness. Sometimes it's, it's our own broken heart. Sometimes, and this is really what's at the root of it so much of the times, we forget God's promises. Man, we forget God's promises. You see, this wasn't the first time that the disciples had heard that Jesus was going to be resurrected from the dead. He had told them. Here's Luke 18, verses 31 through 34. He tells them very explicitly, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock Him, insult Him, and spit on Him. They will flog Him and kill Him, and on the third day He will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. See, we we forget God's promises to us so very often. So, a question for you to, to think about. Where do you turn to find hope? Where do you turn to find hope in your life? And more importantly, just as importantly, how sure is that source of hope? How firm and how certain is your hope? You see, the thing about Christian hope is that it's more than just a wish. It's more than just a I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I I hope that the Vikings win the Super Bowl. If that is you, I am so sorry. That's not happening. Just being a realist here. It's not hope in the sense that we hope our lives turn out a particular way. You see, the author of Hebrews says as much in Hebrews 11, 1. Listen to, listen to what he says. He says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This isn't just a wing and a prayer, guys. This is assurance and certainty because God does not lie. When he makes a promise, it's as good as, as being fulfilled. And so what that means for us, friends, and this is kind of the the main point today, so if you remember anything, remember this. He is risen is not just another churchy saying, it is the Christian's confident battle cry which silences the voice of hopelessness. When we say He is risen, I'm going to say this again because we need to hear it. When we say He is risen, He is not, this is not just another churchy saying. It is the Christian's confident battle cry which silences the voice of hopelessness. So how does it do that? How does the empty tomb, the resurrection, do that? How does it silence the voice of of hopelessness. Well, there are a, a few, few different reasons, a few different ways that it, that it does this. First of all, what the empty tomb means is that death has been defeated. 
Think about that. Most of us have been to, to funerals. And you lay the body in the coffin or the, the ashes into the, into the ground, six feet under, cover it up, pound the nails. It seems so final, doesn't it? It seems so final. It seems like this is, this is the end. But what the resurrection means that it is that it is not, in fact, the end. It means that life wins. It means that life gets the final word, not death. And if we believe in that too, then we will be raised to life just as Jesus was, right? So that's one way that he is risen silences the voice of hopelessness. Another way that it does this is that Jesus actually gives us a new way to live. And I'm going to read this to you. Just This is Romans 6, verses 1 through 4. You see, the resurrection of Jesus means that we have a new way of, of living, a new whole way of existing even. Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Here it is. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we Two may live a new life. Man. Friends, if you are here as a believer in Jesus, you are no longer a slave to sin. It has no power over you. Instead, we have new life in Jesus Christ. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And that eternal life doesn't just start after death. No. Search now. Third way that the voice of hopelessness is silenced is that God does this thing utterly unheard of in our day and age, probably throughout most day and ages. He forgives us. God forgives us. You know what that means? is that all the things we have done or ever will do wrong, those don't get held against us. All of the reasons we stay up late at night, all of the skeletons buried in our closets, all of the words left unspoken, all of the words spoken that, that should have been unspoken, all of the reasons that, that, that make us cry, whether it's self-inflicted pain or, or pain we dish out to others, you see, what God does with that is He takes it and He casts it as far as the east is from the west. He forgives us in Jesus Christ. And that is really, really good news. Only the resurrection of Jesus can inject hope into hopeless hearts in the midst of a hopeless world, our God creates light from darkness, life from death, saints from sinners, and laughter from tears. 
Whatever reasons you may have to be hopeless this morning, your reason to hope is stronger still. And it is a hope as sure and fixed as the old rugged cross and the empty tomb. How do we know this, you might ask? Well, believe it or not, you already know the answer to that. So say it with me one more time. He is risen. Amen. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.